Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the intersection of branding, storytelling, and personal brands, and how it can really help you to stand out as a brand in an oversaturated market. We talked about branding quite a lot in this uh, podcast, but as you know, I s believe that this is one of the core foundation of good marketing, and we'll talk about it forever, so I won't stop. My guest today is a brand and communication strategist. Uh, an author and a public speaker. She's the founder and CEO of the Vienna-based Vienna brand communications agency, All of the Above, so Vienna in, in Australia. After spending many years living in the US, she's now bringing Silicon Valley brand strategies and ideas to companies based in Europe. Recently, she was the CMO of an Australian startup called Usersnap, uh, where she successfully positioned the company on a global scale and helped attract clients such as Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and Netflix. So that's quite a portfolio. And she's also a regular contributor to the Huffington Post, where she has a column featuring women in tech and writes for the German digital magazine T3N. I'm pretty sure this, this isn't the way it's pronounced, but I pronounce it the English way. Anyway, Rebecca Vogels, thank you so much. Welcome aboard. Hi, Louis. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. You're very welcome. So how do you pronounce uh, the last magazine I, told, I said, like T3N? How do you pronounce it in uh, German? I think it's, it's totally correctly. Uh, yeah, T3N. It's great. It's a digital magazine. It's actually quite popular in, in Germany. Um, it has like uh, over a million readers a month. Um, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> right. So let's talk about Thanks. branding in particular, because you have a certain view about it, which is, which is interesting. So can you describe for me the way companies used to do branding in the past? Like wh what were the typical things that, that brands and companies used to, to do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I, I really think branding has changed in the last few years. Um, and what's in, how, how it has been in the past was that, you know, you would look at uh, your brand values. You were asking questions like, um, what does our company stand for? Who, we, who do we want to be? Um, what are what are our values? Um, and I actually, uh, and I think that's that's been in the air. It's not just me, um, but I feel this perspective um, is changing right now. So, um, and the reason for this is also interesting. It's because every one of us um, personally has a personal brand, you know, that we are expressing on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, we all stand for something. We all present our lives online. Um, for example, um, you might you might stand for being a vegan or being into fair fashion or being an activist, um, standing for promoting uh, gender equality. We all have our values we personally stand for. And uh, that means what what branding, what companies have to do is also changing, uh, which is like um, instead of asking like what are our values as a as a company, um, it's more about like how can we as a company add to the personal brand of our customers. So in in other words, is um, what does um, making business with us mean for our customers? Like what what uh, value do they get for their own um, identity? That's an interesting way of putting it. I never I never thought about it this way, which is why it's interesting to talk about it. So I want to dig more into the past and and how brands used to do it because uh, it's. So do you think that it's not valuable anymore for any companies to think about what they stand for and the values they have as a brand? Mm -hmm. um, oh, absolutely. I think it's actually crucial to, to still think about your own company values um, and how to, how to define them as well. Um, in fact, I was, I was uh, recently at, or not recently, in, in March actually at the South by Southwest um, listening to a talk on um, how brands nowadays really have to stand for, um, have, have to really have to stand for something. Uh, so they actually need to have, um, 
stronger and stronger company values to have a position on certain issues. It's like almost political, I would say. Um, but what has changed from how it's how it used to be is like that that in the past it used to be like branding used to be centered around the company, you know. Um, it was like, um, you know, they're like, what does the company logo look like? Uh, what's the, the web design? It was like centered around the company brand. Whereas nowadays, branding, I feel, is centered around uh, the customer. Um, so it's like, what do, what do, what can we as a brand uh, provide to the personal brand of our customers? And in a way, it goes. It also like I, I feel this idea is also not not new. I feel um, it has also been expressed by by Seth Godin, who was also on your show um, a while back. Um, and and the way he expressed it was like um, you know companies tell tell stories uh, to customers that customers tell themselves. So that basically digs into the same. Um, same area of uh, this new branding approach. So I, I agree with you, but there is one caveat. I think there's something that I, I would say, I don't think that good brand strategists or br companies who understood what brands really were even 50 years ago, I don't think they, they didn't consider customers. In fact, I believe that good brands from, from the very start understand that they need to connect with people. They want to make sure that the attributes of their brands, what they stand for also, um, is also something that people connect with. Right. So, however, I would say that the vast, the vast majority of companies didn't understand that in the past. And now that those companies start to understand it, uh, at the minute, they start to understand that, oh yeah, actually, you know what we're selling to customers. Maybe we should give a shit about what they think. And, <laughs> I, so that's the only thing I would say. I, 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 do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Maybe it's also because nowadays uh, you, we have, as marketers, we have so many more ways of like getting to know our customers. You know, because um, everything is is out there. Everything, everyone presents themselves online on in their profile. So. Um, nowadays, if you do like, you know, the, the buyer persona analysis or something, you, you cannot just look at, you know, what, uh, like Mary is like 35, she's living in a dormant building and so on, but you can actually go to her profile and you can see how she communicates, like how she communicates in, uh, in, in Facebook, on, on Facebook, on Instagram, um, Mary here in this case, just an example. So if, if she's your, in your target group and one of your friends, you know, how she's communicating on WhatsApp, um, how, like what Instagram stories she's posting, what hashtags she's using, like what her humor is like. So I feel we have like a super detailed way now of understanding, not just, uh, you know, like some demographics about our customers, but really ways of connecting with them. Yeah. We are living in an age where it hasn't <laughs> been, hasn't been easier to, uh, to talk to, to customers. <laughs> so there's no excuse, right? You can reach out to them via video chat, via chat, via email, via real life conversation. You don't have to move from your office. There's no excuse anymore. You don't even need to literally get out of the building to talk to customers, right? That's true. Yeah. So let's talk. I want to go through a proper kind of step-by-step step with your proper methodology. And what I want to go through with you is, is how can you as a company, even if you're a small company, how can you make sure that your brand connects and add values to the personal mm -hmm. brands of our customers? Because it seems like more and more people care about what they stand for uh, as individuals, mm -hmm. what they believe in. So let's go through that. Let's say we are one of your first clients in your consulting and one of the things we want is to reposition our brand. We want to make sure that our new brand connects with people. And you would actually say, well, actually, we need to connect with them on a personal level. We need to add value to their personal brands. So how do you go about that in practical term? And what is step number one? Mm. 
Um, yeah, a few steps. Um, I think the first step is really um, digging deep and understanding your customers, where they are coming from, like exploring their identities and uh, seeing how they are communicating and how you can actually add value to a problem they are facing in, in their lives. Um, the second thing to understand um, is that um, it's, it's actually not about your product when you do marketing. Um, and uh, the VC, Silicon Valley VC, uh, Judy Lur, put this uh, very adequately, I, I think. She said, like, she has this quote where, where she says, like, people don't care about your belly button and they don't care about your product. Um, and I think that's that's a super important thing to understand uh, that people, they care about what they can do about your product and they care about how your product uh, makes them feel. For example, if you look at uh, beer ads, uh, they're not about like how good the beer tastes or something, but they rather show like uh, community, friendship, celebrating life. Um, so they're not advertising the product per se, but they're advertising uh, a feeling. Right. But how do you go about it? Which is, so that's all super interesting. But mm -hmm. if we're working together and you tell me this in the meeting, I'll, I'll say, okay, I kind of feel that I agree with you, but how do you help me to figure that out? How do you help me to figure that out in my own business? What do people care about and who are my customer and, and how they communicate? Good question. I, I would actually look at the, the existing customers you already have and uh, then see and, and really ask you what customers you want to attract, which might be two different things, right? Um, and then I would go from there um, to, you know, thinking about how you can actually tell the story of your business so that you can, you can attract these customers and that you can, you can tell a story that your customers can, can tell themselves. Right. And I, I love this mm -hmm. concept. So you would, step number one, you would identify your ideal customers. And uh, in, a, in a normal business, we talked about this concept a few times in the podcast. So you would normally go and identify the most profitable customers of the company. Like what type of, what subset of customers are actually bringing the most revenue, are the happiest, are not draining your customer support departments, the ones that seem to be the happiest using your product, right? You try to understand who those people are. Exactly, I am. So it might be the, the customers you, you already have, or it might be um, some someone else you have in mind. You know, these can be, this really depends basically how you, how you want to position your your business like who who's your your target market um if you if you do you, do you want to talk to um startups do you want to talk to smbs and so on um and uh your existing customer base definitely can give you a clue um but uh you might want also want to talk to to a different customer base and then you need to figure out how to get there and what it is that you're actually attracting um, other customers in the first place and how it can, how, how you can, you know, change your, your brand so you can attract a different kind of customers, for example. So, so in what scenario would you like to, let's say you have a profitable business and you have happy customers, some of them are super happy. In, why, <laughs> why would you go about trying to find new type of customers if the ones that you already have are already spending money with you and are happy with you? Um, it, it really depends on, on how you want to position your business. If you're super happy with your customers and um, uh, that's, that's amazing, that's something to celebrate. Um, but if you want to position your business, for example, you want to attract higher paying customers. Um, 
then you would, you know, you would need to uh, change your, your branding, for example. But if you're already happy with the ones you have, that's perfect, I would say. Right. And I assume, <laughs> I mean, when you have a branding, when you're thinking of brand positioning and you're thinking of updating your brand, it usually comes from a place where you're not necessarily acquiring the right type of customers or you wish you had more of this certain type of customers. So, yeah, exactly. so in this example, let's, let's take the, the consideration that we have a lot of, we have some customers, they're paying us, but they're not paying us enough. And we'd like to get uh, higher paying customers, people who spend more, who would potentially spend more with us, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. That's, that's step one. We, we talked to people, we talked about this in many episodes. So we talked about it during the job to be done. Uh, we clear Sulantrop. We talked about it at during buyer persona analysis, uh, with the CEO of the buyer persona Institute. We also talked about this during the, our call, our episode with Mark Ritson recently and uh, around brand strategy. So I know that a lot of, a lot of listeners will be accustomed to like how to pick the right market. So let's assume that we have a subset of customers that we want to go after. What is step two then? How do you go about this story that you mentioned? Um, exactly. Then the next step would be to tell your, to tell a story about your brand that your customers can tell themselves. For example, in the case of uh, Nike, um, Nike is basically telling their customers, you know, if you wear our shoes, um, that means you're, you're active, you're, um, you're, you have a, you're healthy, uh, you have a great uh, lifestyle. You like literally jump into, into life and, uh, life's decisions and the Nike tagline, uh, you know, slogan, just do it basically, um, illustrates that. So that is basically the story Nike tells their customers that they can tell themselves. Uh, so in, in your case, it would be, uh, what is the value, um, that your customers have by doing business with us? Like, how can they profit from our business relationship? Like what's the story they tell themselves because they use, for example, uh, an app that, uh, you know, tracks their heart rate. Um, and um, that, for example, in that case would mean, okay, they're, they're um, listening to their health. They want to live a healthy lifestyle. Uh, they also want to be in, in control. Um, and uh, that's basically the story you have to figure out that you can tell so your customers can tell themselves. Um, and there's a, um, it's called like a three room principle um, by, by Julie Lure. Um, so, which is about like, uh, as it says, the uh, three rooms and, um, it's, a, it's a concept on how to, how to go about telling your story. And, um, the, the idea is that you're, you're basically zooming in into your product. So in the first room, uh, the first room is your, your context. So you don't talk about your product in your first room. You talk about, uh, the context you're in, like which, which area you're in, uh, what problem do you want to solve and so on. And the second room is the value you provide. So what, what is it actually that you're delivering, um, to, to your customers? Um, for example, um, the, the brand, uh, Pampers, um, you know, the baby diaper brand, yeah. um, uh, there, if you, if you look like advertisement by, by Pampers, it's super interesting. Their value is not as you would, as you might think, okay, they, they uh, deliver this great diaper and so on. Their value is also not that the kids are happy. Um, but if you look at like advertisement by Pampers, um, the value is that the parents can sleep through the night. So that is their value. Um, and that is the second room uh, Judy Lerr talks about. And only in the third room, um, it is about your product. So where you're allowed to say, okay, what makes your product great? Okay. So let's go through that in, in detail because I feel, I feel those, could, those, those could be our next steps in a sense. And you started to talk about this company selling um, 
you know, those gadgets you put on your hand, you put in your, on, uh, your wrist mm-hmm. to monitor your heart rate, for example. So let's take that as an example. Let's say that you are working with us and this is the type of product we sell. And let's say we want to reach out to those uh, people who have a bit more money than the one we're selling it to. Let's say we used to sell to, I don't know, students and millennials who are, who don't necessarily have jobs that are as um, well-paying as maybe a generation under. I'm just making overly, you know, I generalize a lot here, but just trying to take an example. Mm-hmm. And we want, re- we want to reach those like 50 plus year old people who are into running to get, uh, to get fit uh, so that they, they can live a long life, a happy life. I'm already saying, uh, providing a value here, but what is the context then for this example? Like you, you talked about the first room, how do you go through the context for this particular Mm. example? Uh, the context would be living, a living a healthy life. Um, so the context is not about if you, if you want to use this example of like having a heart rate, uh, maybe specifically for running, uh, the context would be living a living a super healthy life, making making healthy choices. Um, you know, if this was would be an advertisement, you would see like uh, people eating like uh, healthy fruits, um, going out for walks, laughing, um, maybe doing like a yoga class or something. So it would not be about the actual product. Um, then the value would be um, understanding um, what it means to live a healthy, healthy lifestyle. Um, that's the, the value um, the product delivers, but also the, the value of, of the second room. And only in the third uh, room, the product, um, would you talk about, you know, um, so here's how it works. Um, it's perfect for you, um, because it gives you, uh, it gives you exact heart rate when you run, um, it keeps you updated. Maybe it also does like, uh, you know, in a case of emergency, just to feel safe, it can make like an emergency call, um, stuff like that. And maybe you can also like have a, you know, um, you, you can like show like it has maybe, um, some, um, things, how to show it to your doctor afterwards. That would be the third room, the product. So you're obviously a specialist in, in this area and it, it's quite natural. <laughs> it's, it's natural for you to come up with those, uh, examples quite, quite fast, right? Without doing a lot of research, you make assumption that seems to be quite uh, aligned with what people actually try to do. But let's take the perspective of someone who doesn't have a single clue how to do this and might sell a product, but you know how it is, right? You sell a product yourself or you sell a service yourself. And it's so super difficult to remove yourself from, it is. from this, from this. So how do you go about setting the context when it's your Absolutely. own product? I, I completely agree. It's, it's super hard to do this yourself because that's what you're working on. Um, every day you're working on your product and it's super, super hard to actually, uh, tell, first of all, tell your own story. And then as you said, uh, basically remove yourself out of, out of this story to, um, focus on, on the value, uh, you're bringing to your customers. And, um, I mean, one way to do it, to, um, to go about this is really, um, ask people in your target group, um, like interview them on, um, what, what is the value for you? Um, how can I, um, how can I, how can I add to your, how could my brand, you know, add to your personal, uh, personal brand or personal identity, um, could you walk me how, through how you're using my, my app, for example, um, and really, um, get in touch with people using your product. So do you do that face to face? Do you do that your survey? How do you typically do this exercise? Um, there are of course, uh, different ways to do this. Um, I think if you're like an early stage, I, th- I would recommend like doing a, a face-to-face, 
um, meeting with people who are maybe not your your friends and may might like answer in in favor of your product um, but with with people um, who are in your um, maybe you know tech or startup environment um, whose opinion you trust and um, just ask them um, how like, like what's what's the value for you personally what what do you get out of this product? Uh, what does it mean using this product? Or also like, uh, how, how, does, how does this product, how does using this app uh, make you feel? Okay. So you would talk to people and then let's say that's a small company. You talk directly to people and then let's say you have a bigger client, a bigger brand, more employees. How do you like to typically find out this type of information? Um, I mean, a very typical thing is uh, to do to do user testing. Um, I, I had an interview once with the VP of strategy at a hotel tonight. You know the hotel buying hotel booking brand, mm -hmm. and um, the way they set it up is they regularly have like user testing every two weeks, and it's super interest, interesting how they do it. Um, they actually just bring people in uh, every two weeks and um, they they ask them about uh, about their experiences booking a hotel, basically. So it is not about actually, you know, um, does this feature work for you? But that is like I have to say, of course, one one step ahead of like a small company. But still, the concept is super interesting. So Hotel Tonight really thinks about like how like how does this whole booking process work and what are like some questions we might not even have thought about. So they don't go in like with a, a predefined set of questions or expectations, um, but they just bring these people in and, uh, and talk about it. And uh, I thought that was really fascinating. Another example that was just uh, a few weeks ago, I think, Uh, there was an event in, in San Francisco that was called um, Drunk User Testing, which I also thought really, really interesting. Um, because the idea was that like a lot of time when you're like, say you're using the Uber app to take you home, uh, chances are you, you come from a bar, you were at a friend's party, uh, you were out late, uh, you might have had a glass of wine or two. And so the app needs to be super simple for you to, to navigate, right? Um, and that's what, what, this, uh, what this drunk user testing was about. It was like an event that brought people together uh, where people had a drink and were also testing out apps. And um, I thought the concept was really interesting. Not just, um, and also not just because, I mean, think about how we, how we are using apps. It's not that we are... You know, we had too much to drink all the time, but so much, uh, so much of the time, you know, we're doing something else on the side. We're busy. We might have, we might have lunch while, uh, you know, sending, sending a tweet or Instagram story or whatever. Um, but most of the time we're not maybe paying like a hundred percent of our attention to, to this app. And that is why these events, um, can really provide value. Yeah, there's even this guy. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think I think this conference is uh, is probably organized by this guy who started it as a service. He's like, I, I'm getting drunk. No, I'm making my mom drunk or something along oh. those lines. And I make I make her use your website and you pay me for it. And it's like the best user testing. But then I think he had to stop because uh, the mom was getting too uh, too good at, uh, <laughs> at at doing that. But that's the right point. I do, for Ooh. example, work with two screens. And assuming that people that that people using your app or your service or product has hundred uh, percent of their attention on it is is, is a mistake for sure. So yeah. that's a very good point. So going back to the to the context and the value, and then the zooming in into the product. So give me. Let's talk about another example because I'm to be honest. Even though I know about branding probably not as much as you do, I'm still a bit confused between the context and the value. So what is the main difference between setting the context? So in the, in the example of the heart rate uh, monitor that you do when running, uh, you talked about 
having a healthy lifestyle, lifestyle and, and seeing your grandkids uh, grow up and, and making sure you, you can spend quality time with your family. And then what's the difference between that and the value then? Mm. Um, so the, the whole um, principle of the three rooms is, is basically a, a zooming in. So it's like if you have like a lens, you would zoom in. Uh, so um, your, your context, your context, uh, context um, is um, the whole surrounding, like the whole area where you're in right now. Um, but it's also what is going on in your market and what makes you relevant at this uh, point of time. And um, the value is um, what value can you bring? Because we said like people like 50 plus, right? So what value can you bring to this customer segment? Okay. But then it means it's, so it the value is actually the value is actually in this example to make sure that they have they live a healthy lifestyle, right? Am I not exactly? It's it's uh, it's that they live a healthy lifestyle with uh, and with they it's uh, the fifty plus year old people, right? So then the, so context... the context could be could be also living a healthy life in in general. I would say. Okay. 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 So I, yeah, I think I, I know what you mean. So thinking of zooming in, you think about the, the core like jobs to be done, the core thing that people want to achieve. And usually it, it surrounds around the same kind of thing is basically to be happy. Exactly. Whatever it is, yeah. it's always surrounded to like being happy. <laughs> so the heart rate uh, thing is to live a healthy lifestyle for the pampers as an example is to sleep, uh, sleep through the night because it's actually like as parents, one of the, probably the one main thing that you want when you have a newborn baby is to sleep and it's all about exactly. being happy as a whole anyway. Um, so it's, you zoom in and then, and then you move on to the value. So what does the product, how does the product or service help you to fulfill this in the context? So how does Pampers apply to this, uh, making sure that you're happy? So it connects with the fact that, uh, you want to sleep through the night and it helps mm. your kid. Uh, your kid don't, doesn't cry, uh, doesn't wake up, uh, doesn't feel like wet or uncomfortable because pampers actually absorb uh, everything and, and, and they won't wake up. Absolutely. And exactly. Then the, and then the last thing is this is where you start. Our patented technology absorbs 50% more than our competitors, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> exactly, Louis. Yeah, that's exactly the thing. Okay. And also in the terms of Pampers, you're I mean it's it's obvious, but you're you're um targeting the parents and not the babies. So it's the parent story you tell and it, it gets more convincing when you talk about the technology. Uh, that it lets your baby stay dry. That's why they sleep through the night. And that's why you as parents can be relaxed and, uh, have a heavy, happy night sleeping. Right. So let's say we have set, we've talked to people, we send them surveys, we, we did user testing, uh, we even drunk, uh, to get to this <laughs> point. Um, and we understand the context of value and, and how the product relates to all of that. So now how do we create a story because the example of Nike is, is a famous one and every single brand strategist out there probably mentioned it twice a day, uh, at this stage. So yeah, let's do it. It's a super simple tagline and it tells a bigger story and it's so powerful and they haven't changed it in, That's I don't know, true. I don't know how many mm. years. So it's super tough for other brands to do the same. Right. And how do you come up with a story that is simple to understand yet powerful for people to connect with? Mm. Um, in, in this particular case of like having a, a heart rate app, um, I would tell an individual story. Um, so I would tell the story of, um, one, one person, uh, using this heart rate app. And, um, maybe that was a person who, um, you know, had a, was born with a, with a heart condition and um, never felt really comfortable exercising. Um, but with this uh, heart rate app, uh, it's possible to really control the heart rate in every second. 
and um, also um, make sure not to to go beyond a certain rate and um, tell tell the story from so um, tell the story from uh, a single perspective. Um, it's it's very um, you know they're like. If, if you look at storytelling, there are like a number of ways how to tell a business story. Um, there are like three core stories you, you can you can tell. The one I illustrated right now was like sort of the impact story of what companies, if you're a tech, tech company, uh, you would call the, the, the use case or a customer case study, um, something like this, like um, telling your story um, from the impact your product has. And um, uh, also like uh, connecting it to uh, the context, your value and your product. And in this, this case, I just outlined of the individual story, um, the context and the value would come first as well. And only last, the product would only come, come last. Right. So that's the, the case study style of story so everybody mm -hmm. can relate to it you can almost pick a real customer a customer who got value out of it the before the after what happened and everybody's uh, happy uh, ever after so that's one type then you mentioned two other types so what are the two other types of stories uh, business stories in particular mm -hmm. um, then of course you have the the origin story that is like how your business uh, came about uh, I think in the case of Nike it was the story with the with the waffle iron that makes the the special nike soles right um and um so the origin story is, is basically um how like how you came up with your um business idea and it doesn't mean to to put yourself first it also might mean to you know put a problem first that you were facing um, and then from, from this problem, um, for example, uh, your dad wanted to start running, um, but he was concerned about his heart rate and so on. And you could, you could tell it from this perspective that this got you the idea for this product in the end. Um, and the third one is the, the vision story. So what is the vision you want to, uh, you have for, uh, for your company? Um, but there are a lot of a lot of other story types. Um, it's also um, like what story do you tell on your website? You know, how do you how do you tell this story when people first visit your website? Uh, how do you how do you present your product? Like how do you want want people like if you have like this uh, heart rate app? Uh, what's the thing you're after? Do you want to feel uh, people to feel? Okay, now they have come to the to the right place to uh, feel great about exercising, feel super healthy, and then of course tell this story not um, just with the words you're using, with a with a nice tagline and so on, uh, but also with the colors and everything. Yeah, I, I love those. I mean, I'm a big fan of, of storytelling. I mean, it sounds stupid saying that, but because, <laughs> because it's, I, it's one of the core components of how people absorb information. And throughout Absolutely. thousands of years in the past, we gathered around fire. We, we gathered in groups in small communities and the way we didn't have TV or iPads, the way we were entertaining ourselves, the way we were communicating with each other was through stories. And this is why it's so powerful. So that's why I say I'm a big fan Absolutely. of it. So, but to go back to it, and I love this example, another, uh, there is another example that springs to mind because I feel that they are perhaps the, probably the best example in my head of brand positioning recently is Dyson. Uh, mm. Dyson selling those, uh, uh, vacuums, uh, without cords that doesn't, uh, that don't lose suction. Right. And I'm, it's amazing that I'm able to remember that because I don't, I barely watch TV yet, yet I remember it. I remember it. And this is pretty much the only thing they say. And I think the type of story they use was the founding story originally, like the guy is an engineer and he tried many ways to, to, to create uh, those uh, vacuums that didn't uh, lose suction and blah, blah, blah. And now they're talking about mm -hmm. technology a bit more, but what I want to stress here is you might, when you, when you pick a brand and you 
uh, pick a new positioning, you might want to go overboard by telling many, many different stories. Maybe you want to tell the founding story because it's super interesting, but then you want to tell stories about customers. Then you want to tell a story about something else. And then you want to talk about all of those attributes that your product have. From experience, uh, Rebecca, do you feel that you have to pick your battles and really go super simple and repeat your message over and over again? Or do you prefer to, to have a wide array of things to say? Um, I actually prefer to have um, a couple of these stories um, at least, uh, you know, in the drawer so that you can like pull them out when you when you need them or um, for, for different occasions. Um, I mean, a website is a whole complex story in itself that is very to hard to describe in a pure story, um, story architecture terms. Um, but for the other for the other stories, um, what I would do is um, start start outlining these stories, and then uh, I feel you you'll probably come back to to all of these stories at some point, whether it's like in 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 a press interview or with your customers on a sales call. Um, I think there are plenty of opportunities to actually um, set, um, tell the story because, uh, Louis, as you said, uh, stories are a super powerful tool to connecting with people. And if you tell tell a story, um, you make connecting with your customers so much easier right right there. It's like a super powerful tool to to relate to to something and to care about something. And uh, that's that's what makes it so interesting. So how does it all connect with the personal brand aspect? So you mentioned at the start, and I think we touched on it via yeah, the context, the value that we're providing. How do you make sure that people can can that that your product adds to to people's personal brands? Um, I think you will you will notice how people uh, resonate to your to your stories in particular. Uh, so if the stories you're putting out and with stories in this case, uh, I mean I know it's a, it's super misleading stories stories and storytelling is such a bad buzzword, uh, but stories can also be you know like these tiny elements you have for example in a in a Facebook post. Um, and I feel like you will, you will find out in these, um, maybe call it like in these micro moments or micro interactions you have with your customers, if they resonate with you, with how you tell the story, if that's like in a Facebook post, um, or, um, in a, in a chat or how your customer service is interacting that is something, uh, and that ties ties back into what we talked about earlier. Um, you can find that out um, by by looking at the data or by asking the customers you're interacting with if you're in direct touch with them um, by asking your friends um, what or not not friends and acquaintances and the. the startup ecosystem, uh, what they think about it and, um, make sure that, that the stories really, re really resonate with the people you're talking to. Right. Well, Rebecca, thanks for, for going through this exercise with me. I know it's not easy, uh, to come up with a step-by-step -step approach, uh, like this, um, live almost, cause I, I don't <laughs> like to, I don't like to cut anything in podcasts. So I usually, the episode, what you're listening to right now in, in your ears is the unedited version of the conversation. And so thanks for doing that. Um, switching <laughs> gears a bit and talking about storytelling, branding, uh, personal brands. What do you think marketers and people listening to this podcast uh, right now should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? Um, yeah, um, I think an important thing to uh, focus on is um, is empathy. And I know it's not uh, not particularly sexy. It doesn't have a KPI attached. It sounds maybe fluffy, um, but I feel um, 
really trying to listen to your customers, not not only listen, but really figuring out um, how they are talking to each other, um, what what they are feeling. Um, that is something that will become more important in the next 10 years. Um, I think last weekend it was a, I read an article in the New York Times um, that was titled um, like, uh, why am I crying all the time? And um, it was not about how it was about like how um, TV shows and everything around us has become so um, emotionally um, dense in a way, you know. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because I I feel that um, focusing on on the emotional side. And uh, game designers have done this uh, long ago that they focus on like read like that games are like basically like uh, navigating your own emotions. Um, and and brands have um, have caught up with this, I feel. So um, emotions and designing for positive emotions will become a, or are already, a huge part of marketing and um, empathy, meaning understanding these emotions in uh, customers uh, would be the first step. Right. And what are the top three best resources you would recommend our listeners? And before that, actually, you can think about this answer. I just want to go back to what you said around uh, what am I crying all the time? I have to, I have a need to watch every single crime series on Netflix, every thrillers, everything related to killing. Uh, this is the only thing I can watch from start to finish. The emotion attached is just that I like to be scared a bit. I like to feel, you know, and I'm addicted to it at this point. And Netflix knows that obviously. So we are only, my wife and I are only shown crime TV shows and, and stuff like this. So my evenings are usually full of, of that, but to be honest and to be, to be serious for a bit, it's actually true. Um, brands are cutting up with this, are catching up with this, excuse me, and and things are going to get saturated. So, and but I do believe though that a lot of companies still have no clue um, on how to do this properly. So there is still a huge opportunity for anyone who understands and who can empathize with their customers to to do a better job. Yeah, exactly. It's also like these strong emotions um, are super attention capturing, uh, which makes them so for for brands so so intriguing, um, because it's it's so 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 much harder now to capture your audience attention, and by by triggering really strong emotions, you're able to do that. Right, and so to repeat my question. What were oh, what yeah. are the top three uh, <laughs> best resources you would recommend sure. uh, listeners? Um, so I I really one run resource resource I really recommend is uh, go to South by Southwest. Uh, that's a conference I really really love. Uh, it's like a tech conference, a music festival, a comedy, film, and so on. Um, and it feels like it's like once a year in, in, in Texas, Austin, I'm sure many of you know this conference already or have been. Um, and for me, it feels like once a year you basically get caught up in, in various, um, in various areas, what's going on in the world. And it's also a lot of fun. So that's great. Um, the second thing I can recommend is um, the book by marketer Michael Norton. He's a, he's a professor at the, the Harvard Business School. His book is called Happy Money. It's actually not a marketing resource, um, but it shows uh, Michael Norton, Norton's thinking, which is uh, really, really nice. It's about how we uh, spend money to make us uh, happier and uh, more satisfied. And the third one is um, uh, basically anything by uh, Seth Godin. Who's that? Yes. <laughs> Never heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite book from, from Seth? Uh, I think Purple Cow. Yeah, yeah, I have to agree. Uh, it's funny because 
Seth, I never thought that he was a this kind of um, practical marketer in a sense. I mean, he he has super good ideas. He's a great thinker and makes you think and stuff. But I, when I challenged him in the podcast to to come up with like a very practical thing, mm-hmm. he he didn't flinch, and it was really easy for him to to do that. I wish he was writing a bit more about practical stuff that apply mm-hmm. to to everyone's. A life. He does that sometimes, but not every time. And that's true. Sometimes it doesn't change. Sometimes it does change. But yeah, I would appreciate him to do a bit more of that because he knows this. But I know that he sticks to the the great thinking because he wants people to figure things out on their own as well. Um, so yeah, Rebecca, thank you so much for your time. Um, yeah, really, thanks for thanks for your insights. Uh, where can listeners connect with you and learn more from you? Um. On my on my brand new website, um, it's allofdeabove.com. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also... Uh, have you on the show uh, someday so don't be afraid to subscribe I'm not going to spam you and you can always unsubscribe for sure if you wish the second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback we know that this show is not perfect yet and we always uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again, and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.